This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Sober Life Recovery. Wait, what is the name of the show? Brian's not here. He typically does it. It is uh, Sober Life Coach. Or no, we changed it. It is the Sober Life Audio Experience. Right? Anyway, Brian's not here. It's just Roman in the house, and you guys have tuned in. <clears throat> Those on Facebook, Instagram, Hit like, say what's up. Those that are listening audio, please share this. This is a special episode because we do have a special guest on. With no further ado, we have licensed psychotherapist, entrepreneur, and addiction specialist in the field since 1997, clinician and advocate, Kansas Cafferty in the house. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me on, Roman. You, you are, uh, we, are, we are blessed to have you on. Um, I have seen you, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, and this might be weird, but I've seen you for like the last seven years. While I was sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> not not quite, but okay, I, okay. I have seen you in the field, and I've seen you in other fellowships okay. for a long time, and uh, I've always looked up to you. I've always admired you. I've always seen what you've done, especially the stuff uh, you've done with advocating for uh, those that suffer from addiction and uh, substance abuse. Uh, specifically with the adolescents. I know that that's a population that you've worked largely with in the North County area. And uh, I've never, I've never for, for whatever reason, I've never reached out and just been like, hey, I admire you. Mm-hmm. And uh, when uh, we got you on the podcast, when my assistant booked you, I was like, yes. But then I was freaking out because I was like, this is a guy I know pretty well, but he probably doesn't know me because I've never reached out. Anyway, you're here. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, was all that right that yeah. I said? Yeah. It's all right? Yeah. Licensed so. psychotherapist, entrepreneur, and addiction specialist. Yeah. I yeah. just pulled this from LinkedIn. That's <laughs> Hopefully, I'm getting it right on LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I want to say thank you for everything you just said. I appreciate it. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you. Um, anyway, let's get into the show. Before we start, we typically have three questions that we ask guests. Okay. So we'll we'll just jump into it. Question number one. What is your vision? What arena? You pick. World, your life. Uh, I mean, there's there are a lot of different ways to go with a, a, a question like that. Um you know, I'm not I'm not a dream board guy. Um mm-hmm. I sometimes the the even the, the idea of vision feels a little sales world to me. Mm. And, and so I, I've, it's not something I haven't written it out, you know, and okay. it, it's not a, uh, there's nothing rehearsed there for me. For the most part, I just want to leave the place a little better than I found it. Mm. That's about it. I mean, that's all you can ask for. Uh, and, and I think it's realistic. Yeah. You know, if it's any more than that, then it's icing. Yeah. Wow. Deep. Where are we in it? 
Okay, question number two is a, a bit easier, I think. What do you love? My boys. How many kids? I got two boys. Two boys. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, yesterday we were uh, we were if you're if if you're into the toddlers, all the rage right now is PJ Masks. Has been for a little while. <laughs> uh, my my little guy Cooper was uh, he was gecko. Okay, so he has super gecko muscles. And then my older boy, who's four, was uh, uh, Catboy, who's got super <laughs> Catboy speed. Yeah. And I had to dress up as Romeo, who's a villain. Um, so I was the mad scientist <laughs> with the white streak through his hair, yelling at the PJ Pests that I was going to get him. And that's amazing. Trying to do my best to have a, a five-year-old diabolical laugh. Yeah, that's amazing. So it was a good Halloween. Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. It yeah, it was. Yeah. Kids. Kids are the best. I got a daughter, four years old. And a stepson, ten years old. Okay, so I get it. I oh, feel yeah, it. You do. Yeah. There's no way not to. No. For those that, um, <clears throat> you know, on a side note, those that aren't that are parents but not parents, I, I just never understood that. I don't either. I don't get it. Uh, and I, I didn't meet my dad till I was 19. So this is a. Uh, this is new. How I yeah oh it's new and and filled with all kinds of stuff there but. Right. Uh, uh, how I do it matters to me. Yeah. You know. It's amazing. Question number three. This one is actually the hardest question for okay. most guests. What is one book that has greatly impacted or changed your life? <sighs> I've got a couple I could probably list. There was a, when I, I entered recovery when I was 18 and a guy told me, looking at me said, uh, I was, I think I was 19 when he said this. He said, uh, you might want to try reading some books that aren't blue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I thought that that was a, a, a pretty reasonable suggestion and I started yeah. reading voraciously. And, uh, a, a couple of the books that I read during that time, one that I just really loved was the whole Dune series by Frank Herbert. Mm. Um, there's a whole lot of embedded wisdom in those books and really? a lot of social commentary. It was written in the sixties and there okay. was a lot of commentary in there. Um, but probably the one that shifted my thinking the most that I read around that time was uh, a book called Ishmael. Um, hmm. And Never it, heard. It, it was really, uh, it had nothing to do with recovery. Um, mm-hmm. had to do with a concept he introduced called totalitarian agriculture. Okay. And he, he looked at, it was looking at overpopulation and things like that and, uh, and how that occurred and, and all the conquering that went on as we started to produce our favorite foods right. because of our population explosion and mm-hmm. we ran out of space. And it just uh, – it set me on to really considering uh, evolutionary aspects of the way that systems come about. And it, it changed the way that I thought um, and how I approached what I learned as I later entered college and different did different things where I was uh, I was embracing an education. It shaped the way that I, I heard the information. It imp- impacted my filter. So it changed. It did the message. It did. Yeah, amazing, awesome. Ishmael. Yeah, yeah by Daniel Quinn. Daniel Quinn. Put that down. We have a, a wonderful list of books um, from the show. You know, okay. and, and that's now added to that. So uh, let's just jump into it. You, okay. you, you mentioned that you <clears throat> entered recovery, mm-hmm. eighteen years old. Mm-hmm. So what, like, what events transpired to make that happen? Oh, uh, let's see. I was, uh, I had, I was, I was aging out of foster care. Um, I'd mm-hmm. been a foster kid for most of my my teen years. 
um, with one family, and a pretty solid family, and I, uh, that just fell apart. And I left there not the way that I wanted to. Um, I, you know, left in the middle of the night with you know whatever I could take that I could pawn. Um, I'd left my job. I had uh, I didn't go to high school, so I had uh, I had gotten a GED at sixteen. And then I, uh, I had started at 17. I did an EMS course to become an EMT. Um, didn't show up to my state boards because I, before, prior to doing that, you do all of these, uh, these labs on each other and you're taking vitals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was so strung out on methamphetamine that I, the idea of a bunch of aspiring EMTs taking my vinyl signs, I mean, they were going to take me to an ER if I showed up <laughs> in the condition I was in. So I, uh, yeah. I just didn't show up to anything and uh, ended up living with, Ended up staying with in a dope house, and once I got in there, uh, there weren't a lot of options. So I, I ended up walking into an ER. Um, there were some circumstances around that time that, that right. led themselves to that, but I walked into an ER and just asked for help. And fortunately, they they put me in a cab and sent me to the local community funded treatment center that had a bed. Wow. You know, and I, I hear about, uh, you know, now, I mean, for the last 20 years, I've watched people have to call every single day to try to get a bed when that's yeah. their circumstance. And it's fucked. Yeah. It's fucked. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if I'd be alive or what my life would be, what the ripples of my life would have been had, uh, had that been the answer I got. If you had to wait. Yeah. I mean, this is. Probably the first time I've ever heard of somebody that day of right then in the in the most vulnerable state getting into uh, uh, at least a state funded at one program. in the morning. Yeah. Wow. At one in the morning. Yep. I drank in the parking lot. I uh, smoked a joint in the parking lot, and I went in. And then they helped you. And they helped me. Yeah. And it wasn't. <clears throat> uh, it wasn't fancy. There was you know I, nobody I saw was a medical professional the whole time I was there. I, right. You know, I was, it was pretty psychotic from the math, and uh, nobody even discovered that while I was in treatment. Um, really? But uh, made it. Yeah. You know, uh, it was a bunch of well-meaning members of 12-step programs that probably hadn't been near a classroom ever. You know? Right. And it, it was, you know, there. I don't know of anybody else who made it that I went to treatment with. Right. Um, you know, and I was an 18 year old kid and I was surrounded by a lot of grown ups with misspelled tattoos, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was, but it didn't matter. Some of those. You know, desperate yeah. is desperate. And, you know, it didn't really matter who I was around. Um, what mattered was the, I just, I had open ears. Well, I mean, <clears throat> the circumstances that led to that and everything that had to happen the right way, you know, for you to get to the ER. And then to be popped in a cab and taken to treatment. They paid you know? for the cab. I really? Had, yeah. I had no medical insurance. Wow. I mean, there was, I didn't have Medicaid. I didn't have anything, you know. I, it, I had the lint in my pockets and they admitted me at one in the morning. If that, was the re- if that was the response today, how would this, uh, how would things be different? I don't know. I know that it, I, I can, I, I can speculate that I, uh, I would have stayed out longer at the very least. Mm. Um, I uh, I weighed 100 pounds less than I do today. Um, wow. Uh, that was not healthy. You were in bad shape. Yeah, I had blood coming out of my lungs from smoking meth. And, uh, Oof. I had, you know, it wasn't the first time I'd had that. And 
I really, I really needed something different. And you got it. So what happened from that point? You're 18. You enter this state-funded facility. You were ready. You were willing. You had some direction. You know, maybe not the best, but you had some guidance. I, I did. It wasn't bad guidance. Yeah. You know? it, it, was, uh, it was what was available at the time. How did you get from there to all these things I read at the beginning? Kept showing up. Kept showing up. Kept showing up. I mean, I, I worked full time through uh, community college, undergraduate, graduate school. Um, worked the whole time. You know, took a lot of really low paying nonprofit jobs along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, my coming up in the field was you know, it, the average age of entry into the field of addiction treatment is thirty four. And, Did not know that. And so when I was 34, I had 15 years of experience, yeah. <laughs> which was yeah. unusual. Uh, right. Um, Still is. And, and I was working a lot with adolescents, as you said. I, mm-hmm. I spent about 10 years working with adolescents. Um, it was, uh, I, but I, I, the way that I came to it, it was, there was no money to be made in it. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't the way that it is right now, or we're kind of on the tail end of a lot of people that are about to close up their businesses and go sell whatever widget is making money tomorrow. Yeah. And, and fuck all of them. Um, I, I see it actually reflected in my numbers now that they're starting to crack down on a lot of the illegal patient procurement activities and things like that, that my numbers are going up. Yeah. And yeah, it's we're good. S- we, you know, we we're, were really that. hoping to wait out that storm. It lasted long. It has lasted longer than it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, it was murderous. And, uh, I, I, I would, I think that there was a, there was a different kind of therapy that we, 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 that probably would have been employed. We were a little more wild, wild west in the beginning Mm -hmm. of my career. Um, I wasn't working in high end treatment centers, you know, but uh, I, I think if you had engaged in a lot of that kind of music back then, uh, you would have gotten chin therapy. Yeah. (laughs) That's the way that that was. That's, Uh, that's what I hear. And, uh, I, Right, wrong, or indifferent, it kept you honest. It, it you is know? what it is. Not right? that it, I mean, I don't think any of none of us would have dreamed of doing a lot of that stuff. Right, we would have. It, it would have been so. Uh, it, was, it was abhorrent. Mm-hmm. It was even even the concept of it was so abhorrent to us. Yeah, but one something that was different was when we were new. When we were a year, two years into recovery, entering the field, you were at the bottom of the totem pole. You didn't open a treatment center. Right. <laughs> you, know, you weren't the CEO. Right. You know, you were, you know, you were listening to, you know, you were listening to people that had been in the field, you know, five years, 10 years. They were your bosses. Yeah. And, or more, you right. know. Uh, I was working in San Marcos at the Teen Recovery Center up there at MHS program. Wow. When I was 20, 21. Um, I mean, this is in 2000. We had a sober high school back then. They still do. Yeah. And, I, you know, our, our uh, our director was an RN with forty years of experience. Wow! Yeah, you know, was, she wasn't going to do uh, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, not that there was any money to be made in nonprofit right. on that anyway, but uh, but but we were taught what the ethics were really quickly. Ethics, and you know, you just wouldn't dream of doing it any other way. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you uh, you mentioned ethics because <clears throat> that's one of the things that I see you out there advocating for is ethics or 
in in most cases, lack of ethics with a lot of addiction treatment centers that have popped up in the last 10 years and some of the shady business practices that have been going on with the patient broker brokering, uh, incentivizing treatment, you know, giving free housing, free cell phones, free vapes in some cases. And, and, uh, and I love seeing that it's crack. It, it's, there's a crackdown right yeah. now, you know, n- not only, um, by the government, but there is, um, for marketing there's and an ad campaign. Revolt. Yeah, it, there totally is. And you're absolutely right. Is a lot of, I think a lot of those people, they just, they miss either they miss that course on ethics, or they're not even from this industry. They never even took it. Right. They never yeah. even took it. And yeah. that, and that's the reality of, of what's become of this industry. And it's it's starting to shape up. It is, but we've got a, a fallout right now that we've got an entire generation of, of people that have been through now 10, 12, 20 treatment centers. Yeah. They've been treating their, their, their Anthem PPO like it's an American Express card. Right. And they have no belief in the help that's available to them anymore. They have lost all faith in it. They've been exposed to some recovery language and they're immune to it. Uh, They're, you know, the way that you become immune to something is by taking it in very, very small doses over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And these kids have taken really small doses of recovery mixed in with a lot of poison Mm -hmm. over the course of several years now. Yeah. And they're run, they're starting to run out of options, and so the ones that they go to are some of the worst out there that are hanging on. Mm. And when these kids that live through it do come to a place where they're exposed to some real help, it's going to be real hard for them to hear any positive messages, to trust them. How yeah. can you trust an industry that did to you what they've done, what, what ours has done? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's going to be a very painful time for us and for this generation of kids. So that being said, what, like with your experience, with with what you've seen, not only in this industry, but with working with clients, being a clinician, doing the one-on-ones, the individuals, like what's the hope? Where is the hope? It's in how we build relationships with them. Uh, I, I, we, we like have my place. We don't do. I I don't have a list of consequences anywhere under my roof. It just doesn't exist. Now I'm an outpatient program. I can do some things like that. That right. But it's it's about building a relationship with the person, and you know because what happens in here is happening out there, and so they yeah. bring the problems to you that are already occurring, and and that's how we can begin to to own some of that. But it's also discussing what they've been through. Mm. You know, just really going through what they've been through and in a therapeutic sense and treating it like trauma. Yeah. It, well, it, it is, is trauma. trauma. Yeah. It is. This has been traumatizing for them. Of course. And they've been a part of it and they've been engaged in it. And so it's easy to not. It, it's, I don't want to say easy. It's a, it's a simple mistake to make to blame the patient. Right. Through this. But they engaged in a system that was already that way. Well, it's a lack of accountability. Yeah. Really is what it is. It is. How can because the people that were treating them weren't accountable themselves? Of course How, not. You can't give something. These were addicted organizations where you had ownership that if they were uh, in quote unquote recovery, they had just transferred addictions to money. They had transferred addictions to what's next, right? And, and that starts from the CEO level, um, where some of these CEOs had two months of 
quote-unquote recovery if and rarely maintained it while they were engaged in this. Yeah. And if that and that goes all the way down to the the patient brokers, which are like a middle class gangsters, you know. They're, oh, it's you know, they're, it's incredible. Those kids, I don't. I think that they're just part of the patient population that's been traumatized. No, they are, and they're probably the ones who can trust any of it the least. They, yeah, you know, they, because they saw the ugliness of, of the deal, of the backroom deals. And I'm talking for those that don't know, I'm talking about clients being lured into staying at hotels with people. Um, who give them drugs while they figure out what the best treatment center is to take them to that they can make the most money at. And then basically they're selling these patients to treatment centers at a premium. We're talking thousands of dollars and then doing it, going out and finding the next. That's who we're talking about, just so you guys know. Well, Sacramento finally passed a law around it, but it's it's weak. You know, let's, let's make it what a misdemeanor, Yeah, you know, and and let's really do almost nothing about it. Let's make the fine so low that, that it's still profitable for people. Yeah. You know, uh, why bother? You know, I I think it's the safe face, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Safe face. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But there is some hope in this though. Yeah. I I feel like better something than nothing. Right. But should we settle for better when we could have best? Of course not. Of course not. We shouldn't settle for better when we have best. I think for for once, uh, at least since I've been in this industry now seven years, uh, for once, finally, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that that can provide us, um, us ethical quality treatment professionals who are really in this to help clients. It can provide us some hope, you know, and something to look forward to and for clients to a certain extent. I mean, they're not they're not hearing some of the news and they're not seeing some of the things that we see. But I think that for those that are coming to the right places, you know, going to the right treatment centers where they're going to be treated properly, there there is some hope available. Oh, there is. And there and there are people that have never been in treatment that are still entering treatment right now. Right. And they haven't been harmed that way. Right. Uh, what I was speaking of there is that, that population of uh, – which is primarily young people, um, really mm-hmm. young people that uh, that this is what they were introduced to. Right. And some of them are going to lose lifelong faith in that in this industry well and and unfortunately that can lead to death yeah you know i know and we're seeing it Mm -hmm. all the time it's uh you know we had a guest on a couple weeks ago that was talking about um this new epidemic with grandparents becoming parents Mm -hmm. you know and it just the statistics blew my mind one of the one of the uh, the the sort of dark silver linings of this is that organ donation has gone up Interesting. The, never uh, never well, would have thought of that. Well, you have uh, you have entire groups of young viable organs coming That's into true. the morgue, and they've got good livers still. Opiates aren't particularly hard on the liver. Wow! And so they're they're finding these good organs, and they're donate and they're being donated. Well, I guess that's. Um yeah, like you said, like if that's where you got to look to find some silver lining, but hey. you know, but but there are people that are that are living and getting a second lease on life because of that. Yeah, and I think we've got to find where those silver linings are and make sure that we maximize them where they're there. Absolutely, you know. Um, so you founded True True North Recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when did you found that? Uh, two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Yeah, kind of on accident. Yeah, what happened with that? How did that come to be? 
Uh, I was. You working, were doing adolescence prior to that. Yeah, I was. Right. I was working in an adolescent facility. Uh, medical director and I were. We were in tune. Um, we we usually rolled our eyes at the same time during treatment team meetings, things like that. <laughs> um, okay. So we uh, we decided to go into practice together. Um, at the same time, she got appointed chief of psychiatry at Hogue Hospital. Um, so all of a sudden, and she cold called them for that job wow. and got the job. And so, and she's an ASAM doc. So the two of us are sitting here going, okay. And then I get a call from, uh, a woman who owns a sober living in North County from, uh, Patty Hopkins, who owns La Costa Solutions for Women. Okay. She calls me and uh, a woman that she, uh, mentors in recovery, uh, it was a friend of mine and, uh, set us up. We had coffee at the Starbucks where you can see the airplanes land in yeah. Carlsbad. Yeah. And she uh, she said she really needed a group, like a relapse prevention group. So I started a relapse prevention group in North County. And just on your own? Just, just as a therapist, you okay. know. And so yeah. started having it three days a week. Um, it, we weren't, it wasn't an IOP. It was, I wasn't taking insurance. I, I was in a timeshare with another therapist. We were using <laughs> a little conference room in there. Uh, I was paying like 300 bucks a month in rent because of this timeshare. Right. I was, I think I was charging 2000 a month and I was... I give them an individual session and three two-hour sessions a week, and they were, wow. I think their psychiatry was handled because I, my partner was a psychiatrist. Okay, yeah. But I was really a private practice therapist. Yeah. And, and then these other sober living homes, we were, at the time, we were the only ones in there, in North County. There was nobody up there. Yeah. Um, it was us and the community-funded programs. You had to go down to Sorrento Valley, down to Judy Salinger's place right. to, to get a good treatment program. Mm-hmm. So there just weren't any choices. Um and so all these sober livings started to call us, these independent sober livings. And we started saying, yeah, we'll try it out. You know, at first we were just doing it for a few patty cows. <laughs> and, and then we started and doing it. And next thing you know. Next thing you know, I got 10 people staring back at me. And right. So I, I, I hired a, a counselor that I had worked with in the past and she's 20 years in the field and she's still with me. You know, she hired her in 2012. And, yeah. And, you know, we've. Uh, we've just kind of gone that way, uh, and then next thing you know, you just have yeah. Eventually, this program. We, eventually, we, we you know we felt brokenhearted because somebody called and they had insurance but couldn't pay the the, the mm-hmm. cost. So we worked it out so we could take an insurance policy. Uh, you know, it wasn't right. Uh, there was there wasn't that's the, that's the craziest story it was, of somebody opening a, <laughs> a program I've ever heard. It was organic. Yeah, you know, North County needed totally. it at the time. I put it in Encinitas because it was in the middle. Right. Isn't Makes it? sense. You know, I, yeah. I think now Encinitas is sort of like, they've sort of, everybody seems to identify it as a, 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 hub. a, a hub, but at the time it was us. I don't think it is. Just to, no, but to, in, to North County, yeah. in North County though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's because you, you know, you have us, you have Aton Center and we, right. didn't, we didn't even know Aton Center there. We met them in 2012. Wow. Um, they called us and said, we've, we've got all these really, you know, patients are great We're coming out of here that, uh, you yeah. know, really need an outpatient program. So we work with some of their folks and uh-huh. try to help them with the transition and, yeah. you know, worked that, out good. That's amazing. And we, and we didn't care if they were, you know, Aton was real, is real good about Given people a lot of options, they they right. were ahead of most of the most people on providing uh, real smart recovery options and things like that. Yeah, um, not just talk, you know, because everybody uh, everybody does everything online. Right, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, you go on any website that they're all the same. 
Oh yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. They do everything. You know, they, they're 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 treating. They, I mean, they're practically treating low functioning <laughs> autism. It, it'll get somebody into it bad. Yeah. Um, even though nobody on there has ever heard of advanced behavior. And then they'll, they'll they'll try to uh, they'll try to bill insurance for that too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah Twice. Because because the patients are widgets, and this yeah. is a conveyor belt that is really constructed to bill insurance companies. Yeah. They, there's no concept of actual program development that goes into there. There's nothing comprehensive about the view of – of uh, treatment should be a tapestry that starts at the beginning, and you can find the strings that you found at the beginning at the end. Right. And if you don't have those threads in place, and that takes a comprehensive view to create it, if you don't create that tapestry – um, as an overall, as a bigger picture, your program's really a conveyor belt. Yeah. You know? Well, what about the argument that insurance policies or insurance companies have created this? I, I would argue influenced this. Um, I, you know, I, I, I haven't ever had a patient leave that their insurance company was the one that that made the final call on whether or not they stayed or left. You know, I, if you're not done with treatment, you're not done with treatment. And I'm not done with you. you know, that's how how we've handled that. You know, there's well, there's a there's, yeah. there's a middle road in there, and you know, if folks can afford their treatment, they should. You know, and yeah. that's part of having some skin in the game, and that's important therapeutically. Of course, you know, but I, I've also worked with a lot of folks over the years that you know they they just finished. You know, fifty thousand dollars at Sierra Tucson. Uh, they just finished. Yeah. Uh, you know, spending twenty five hundred a month on a sober living for the for four mm-hmm. months. Um, they're tapped. Yeah, and so you know, they spent some money on on working with us as well. Now we're doing aftercare. You know, now we're saying, what are you going to do for aftercare? Right. Um, which is actually what drove me to set up a group practice. Was let me set up a group practice that's in network with all the carriers. So that these folks that are insurance dependent at the end can actually see a therapist that knows anything about them. They're not starting their story over, right. you know, and you get a couple of therapists going so you can work with couples and things like that. Right. And, you know, I mean, I've worked with children of my patients, you know, as part of their treatment, yeah. you know, where I've got, you know, it's incredible, well, you know, 14 year old Johnny's kind of pissed off at mom's alcoholism, you right. know, and he's got some stuff going on too. And, so let's sit down, you know, let's have him be, a, you know, ultimately I've got mom in the other room. This is, a, you know, five months after treatment, the mom's doing therapy over here and another therapist doing couples therapy. And I got Johnny in there and we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about his stuff, which is well, maybe a little bit of drug flirtation, but not, uh, not necessarily any kind of an addiction at this point. Right. But he's eligible. For you sure. Know, he's eligible. He's sure got the, the predisposition and he's, he's – He's trying to do some prevention. Yeah. Let's change that family system. That's, a, that, that's, that's, a, that's not a two-month process. That's incredible. And I, I, wish we, I wish more people, professionals, programs were doing some of the stuff that you're talking about. It's, it's unfortunately – it's unusual in this industry. I know it is. But – you know, we were sitting in North County, and there were all of a sudden about eight treatment centers. <laughs> Overnight? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and part of that is what makes us any different. Right. Oh, well, we could we could do some things that are different than that. Yeah. You know, we can, we can go. And we were thinking, like, when you're clinician-owned, you think like clinicians. Mm-hmm. You know, you think like therapists. You think like psychiatrists. You think like, you know. And you're, you're putting care first, and then you figure out how to get it paid for. 
Right. When you're when you have an MBA or driving the bus, you you figure out how to get it paid for, and then you and then you figure out how to make it leaner, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and then you hope that the patients get better, and if not, it's their freaking fault anyway. Yeah. yeah, that's that's just it. It is what it is. You know, like I said, um, this has been an incredible episode. Honestly, thank you for coming and, and chatting with me. I know you're a busy man, and I know you lot, you got a lot going on uh, with you know trying to change this industry. You are standing up as a leader in this industry, and I think that that's important to recognize because largely for the last 20-plus years, there hasn't been real leadership in this industry, in this space. That there, there, there hasn't been a lot of cohesiveness and a lot of real collaboration um you know discussing collaboration with people it, they usually it's like okay i'll send you someone you send me someone let's collaborate right but collaboration of really figuring out what's best not only for clients that we may share but what's best for this industry as a whole so um again thank you for coming on uh you know as we wrap up i just want to you know, for those that are listening, because we do have viewers, we do have followers that are listening that may be suffering, suffering, struggling with addiction, with substance abuse, or maybe they have a loved one that is struggling. What would you say to them right now? Start to look at the, the at your entire family system as the intervention point instead of just the person who is suffering from the substance use disorder. And to anyone who's in the family who begins to access help for themselves begins to change the way the family system functions. Wow. And so if I'm a mom who is watching her kid die, enter into personal therapy, not personal case management, not personal how do I get my kid into here, mm-hmm. enter into your own personal therapy and start to do your work. You are going to naturally begin to do something different with the, with your family members, and they are going to naturally respond with something different than what they're doing. Wow. And that is that is one of the biggest things that you can do right now is get your own help in this. You know, we're we're probably the only place on the well, outpatient on the planet that does a full family intensive and it's for this reason. Even as an outpatient we do a 3-day family intensive program. Wow. And it is for this reason that it, you know, at the beginning of it everybody comes in and they want to fix the person in their family. By the end of it, you find out that there are lots of relational dynamics that need adjustment, mm-hmm. and these are part of the process. Uh, addiction can be a symptom also of a family system, yeah, you know, of the way that it's working. And that doesn't mean that a family's bad. No. It means it's not working for that member. Just the environment. That's yeah. right. It's not working for that member. And that doesn't mean that these are dysfunctional things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that your family is sick. It means something isn't working. And let's look at what isn't working. And if we, because what you have there is the rest of the family may be far more willing to begin to make changes because they're often much healthier than the person who's got a lot of drugs in their system. Right. And so they're a good intervention point to start to have some change. But, Never heard that before. But you've got a bunch of people preying on them that see, it's like, okay, let's figure out how to talk to moms and how to get moms to put their kid in our program. Right. And, and so let's scare the shit out of them. Let's get them into our place before their kid dies. But nobody is asking mom anything, you know, and, you know, mom in her anxiety has collected 
five different therapists and coaches and everything else that are all telling her different stuff and, and right. competing with each other, and nobody's asking what to, what's going on, what's any good for her. I've never heard that, and that's that's not surprising, but that's incredible advice. So you're saying that anyone in a family environment that has somebody that's struggling with substance abuse, any one of them can become really the the point of influence the for getting better. Yeah. Wow. Let's introduce more health into the entire family. I love that. I love that. Is there, before we leave, is there any other nuggets of gold that you want to drop on listeners? You asked me Anything? how to build a watch or ask me what time it is. I'll tell you how to build a watch, Roman. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can, where can people find you if they want to? Plug yourself. Uh, uh, True North Recovery Services, uh, SanDiegoAddictions.com. Uh, we're in Encinitas. You can find me there. Uh, yeah, it's probably the best spot. Awesome. So, All right. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you, guys. Please, um, you guys can be part of the solution. This message is for you. If you've been wondering how you can help, it is as simple as liking, commenting, sharing this with somebody that you know that may be struggling or suffering. So please share this message because you never know whose life may be changed or impacted by what was said in this message. Thank you again. And this has been another episode of the Sober Life Audio Experience. <laughs>